From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up on this podcast. A massive fire at the Barclay Friends Senior Center in Westchester claims four lives and leaves scores displaced, raising questions on how to protect our most vulnerable. Whether it's physical abuse and family violence or all the ways that seniors are exploited. Senior care advocates empower older Philadelphians and caregivers. He blew the world away when he sang for Pope Francis. The major change that's impacting a Philadelphia child star's voice, the grueling injury he suffered and the cause he'll be crooning for on New Year's Eve. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast and feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks all. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the massive fire at Barclay Friends Senior Center in Westchester. It happened on November 15th. Four residents, 93-year-old Mildred Gadd, 85-year-old Teresa Malloy, 89-year-old Dolores Parker and her husband, 92-year-old Thomas Parker, all died. 133 residents were displaced, and this week, lawyers hired by the family of Mrs. Malloy say her room was on the second floor, just above where the fire began. Teresa Malloy died alone and terrified. The attorneys have a theory on why the five alarmer was able to rage out of control. The fire suppression system, from all the information that we have seen and heard, did not work. Studies showed that seniors are more likely to be victim of fire. So what can older Pennsylvanians do to protect themselves? And what can caretakers do to protect their loved ones? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Craig Murphy, Deputy Commissioner of the Philadelphia Fire Department, who specifically works on risk reduction efforts there. Karen Buck, Executive Director of the Senior Law Center that helps thousands of older Philadelphians every year. And finally, Ada Bayo, an ombudsman with the Center in the Park an organization that promotes positive aging and fosters community connections for older adults. Welcome to Flashpoint. When I heard about the fire at Barclay Friends, I mean, my heart broke. So many people lost their lives. And then I recalled that every year we do stories of some sort about seniors um, falling victim to a variety of different accidents, specifically fire. And so I want to start with you, Craig. Why is it that seniors are more likely to become victims uh, in this way? There is a a huge difference between senior citizens and in those in their middle ages. And and the reason being is some of them are infirmed. As they get on in years, they just don't respond the same way as they did when they were younger. Also, we end up going and fighting fires in some places where they have smoke alarms that are outdated. And then they haven't changed the battery in that smoke alarm in years. And it's unfortunate because, you know, some of these older folks are living alone, you know, um, and they're relying on a... you know, family members, there's a disconnect that, that we're trying hard to address now. Yeah, and I know, Karen, you guys over at the Senior Law Center help people in a variety of areas. Give people a laundry list, and what have you been seeing with regard to the senior community? We're very proud to serve um, well over 5,000 older Pennsylvanians each year. We do see uh, folks and help folks who are living uh, both in their own homes and in rental facilities in the community, and they're facing lots of issues, whether their home is habitable, whether they have working heat, water, uh, safe utilities, food, 
and the really basic necessities of life, whether they're a homeowner or a renter, and they're facing foreclosure, eviction, homelessness in many different ways. And then, of course, one of our big issues right now is elder abuse and financial exploitation. So whether it's physical abuse and family violence or all the ways that seniors are exploited through identity theft, unauthorized use of credit cards, fraudulent deed conveyance, um, you name it. So we really look out for seniors in all different ways. And I would just add that we do have folks who have cognitive issues, disabilities, physical, mental, et cetera. But we were very careful not to generalize about our yeah. older folks and to, to treat everyone as an individual because everyone does not have frailties and cognitive impairment. And we try to address the folks who are the most vulnerable. Yeah. And Ada, I know you are an advocate. I have been working with the Ombudsman program on and off for about 15 years. I'm a volunteer. We visit nursing homes and similar facilities and uh, talk to the residents to see if they are satisfied with their services, instruct them on their rights so they know they're aware. They talk to us. Sometimes they just want to blow steam and that's good too. Yeah, so you sometimes have to be a, a sounding board. But at the same time, we try to empower the resident to be their own advocate. And another thing that I think is very important is that we make frequent visits unannounced. And we are the eyes and ears that can detect problems. With the Barclay Friends situation, they're still investigating what exactly happened there, but it was tragic. I mean, how do we empower people to make sure that that doesn't happen to them? I know you said smoke detectors is one thing. Smoke detectors is the most important thing. We don't want any more fire deaths. Now, that may sound like a huge huge undertaking. It's really not if you think about what stops fire deaths. And usually that's a home safety fire drill and working smoke alarms. So recently we got a grant for a million dollars and we bought 28,000 smoke alarms. We can come out to any house as long as it's within the city of Philadelphia and have our teams come put smoke alarms up for you. With this effort and efforts such as these, we can try to have any fire not be a fatality fire. That's actually a success story when there's a fire and everybody gets out and everybody's fine. Absolutely. And the way we look at it, there's no reason I should ever have to see you again if we've done our part. And people always complain because those smoke alarms are, are expensive. The ones that last for 10 years with that 10-year battery, All that big fat battery. Karen, I want you to jump in here because it's not just fires, though. How do you empower yourself? Because people are at home, they're getting phone calls. We always do the scams. We always uh, do folks knocking on the door around Christmas time. That happens quite often. Philadelphia has the largest percentage of seniors of the 10 largest cities in the country. Almost half of our seniors are living at 200% or less of the federal poverty level. But we also have a wonderful aging network of services. So we at Senior Law Center do legal services. We're lawyers and advocates for seniors. And we try to empower them to know their legal rights so that they can enforce them and to prevent being exploited, swindled, targeted by home repair contractors, by folks who would come and take their money and run, who take their credit cards, steal their identity, et cetera. So all of the financial pieces. But there's much more that we can help with and our wonderful aging network can help with. The majority of seniors in Philadelphia and around the country don't live in long-term care facilities. They live in the community. Most are homeowners, and some of the poorest seniors we have Uh, are living in rental homes. So they're facing all of those issues that come along with maintaining their homes 
um, and making sure that uh, landlords respond to their needs. Senior Law Center is here. We also have a statewide helpline for older Pennsylvanians who are 60 and older, whether it's family court, housing court, landlord-tenant court, uh, mortgage foreclosure court, or other issues. Um, So we were happy to share that number, which is 215-988-1242 in Philadelphia. What strikes you about this, Ada? I mean, you had to spend some time getting a rehab, you know, knee your, your knee rehabbed, and you've seen it from all sides. Um, are there groups where seniors can kind of come together? Because, I mean, a lot of times it's power in numbers. Oh, well, um, we really uh, like to see um, uh, seniors in nursing homes uh, organizing their own council, a resident council with a president that will be uh, also a resident. That will be uh, the person to go to for some complaints, um, and also having meetings once a month. And it's very useful because if you had three people in uh, two different floors complaining about something, it is, it, it is ineffective. But if you, they come to the meeting and they know, they realize that there they are about five other people that had the same complaint, there is a trend and then they can address. I like the idea that, um, you know, folks coming together and having these meetings every month. What can the caregivers do to make sure that their loved ones are in the best position? From the fire department's viewpoint, if you have a caregiver, that caregiver has to make those connections. Yeah. It's not just about fires. Really, it's just about checking on folks just to make sure that everything is okay. It's not just fires. It's EMS. It's emergency health care. Yeah. It's, you know, when we when we send our folks out, it's great to have our paramedics and our EMTs have somebody a point of contact. And more and more, we're running into um, a language barrier. The fire department in the city has has given our responders a way. You can call for a translator, but we still need a point of contact. When you're a caregiver, you're looking at things and you say, what can I do to make sure this doesn't happen? I mean, language access is a huge issue for yeah. our elderly community, and it's a very diverse community. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that point being made. But there are resources for caregivers. The Philadelphia Corporation has caregiver support. Uh, the Alzheimer's Association has caregiver support groups. Um, there's many, many wonderful resources. I'd put a plug into our partner organization, CARI, C-A-R-I-E dot org, which has wonderful resources, not just about caregiving, but about the quality of long-term care facilities. Mm-hmm. They have a caregiver GPS program to walk you through um, those decisions and also some best practices on how to uh, be caring for and looking out for your loved one, whether they're at home, getting in-home care, whether they're taking care of themselves, um, which many, many, many seniors are. I want to make that point. Yes. Or if they're in some kind of long-term care facility, whether it's nursing home, assisted living, or other So there's wonderful resources out there as well as on Medicare.gov, Consumer Voice, and and many others. And the CARI website is a great place to start. I think that's wonderful. I mean, and uh, one of the things that I love that, you know, Ada, you were talking about was seniors sort of helping each other. There is power in numbers. Even if you have an issue and you think, well, maybe I'm just exaggerating a bit. You talk to somebody and they have the same issue. So then you are reassured that you're actually perceiving the situation the right way. And it's easier to um, to sort of uh, sit down and discuss an issue and with input from different people. 
Yeah. And the threats are changing every single day. The good news is that our community loves our seniors. I mean, that Barkley Friends, the outpouring of support that we all saw was amazing, right? Did you did it make you feel good to see so many yes. people coming together? It gave you it gave you hope. Yeah. yeah. At the holiday time, particularly when we have extreme weather, but in, including at the holiday time, it's a wonderful time for us all to be checking in on our senior neighbors, our families, our relatives, making sure folks have what they need, but also to say thank you. Please give the number to the Senior Law Center so that people can call you guys. And if you have any other resources. Philadelphia seniors, 60 and older, um, can call Senior Law Center 988-1242. You can call for information about your legal rights if you have a legal issue or emergency. I'd also refer everyone to our website, www.seniorlawcenter.org, O-R-G. And I know you said, Craig, you can call 311 and get get yourself a free smoke detector that'll last you 10 years. You can get three. You can get three smoke detectors that'll last you 10 years. One on each level, right? One on each level. Mm -hmm. We also want to make sure that there's a 311 app that you can download the 311 app. On Twitter, it's um, at Philly311 or at Philly Fire Department. Ida, I'm going to give you the final word as we wrap this up. Well, the Ombudsman Program is managed in Philadelphia by Center in the Park. We take care of the northwest and the northeast of the city, 215 a four four one eight two nine. The other half of the city, which is uh, South Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, Center City, is Cary. Their telephone number is two one five five four five five seven two four. And so I just want to send everybody to kywnewsradio.com, and we'll have all the details from all these resources available. Thank you to Karen Buck, Ada Bayo, and Craig Murphy for coming into the KYW studios and talking about this Flashpoint in the news. Next up, he blew the world away when he sang for Pope Francis. Now he's back with a new voice, how he's using it to help kids this New Year's Eve. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one issue that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is bad music. So no wonder that then 14-year-old Bobby Hill is now a favorite after he blew the world away when he sang for the Pope. Fast forward, and the now 16-year-old is a bona fide celebrity making appearances at the Democratic National Convention and beyond, and now he has a new voice, and he's taking it to the stage for a good cause. Bobby Hill, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Glad to be here. So for those of uh, Philadelphians in our greater Philadelphia area who have not heard of you because you've become very popular, let folks know some of the places that you have been able to lend your voice. Well, it all started when I sang for the Pope two, about two years ago. After that, I was on the Ebony Power 100 list and I did the gala out there. And I've done a 
few private performances, well, a lot of private performances since then. I also did the Democratic National Convention. I opened up the convention in 2016. Yeah, just a lot of stuff, different places. Yeah. How has this ride been? My life has been so different. I guess I'm used to it now, um, but I can't think of like what it was like before. There's always something new going on, and it's exciting. It's exciting. I really like it. We say BP before the Pope, then it's like AP after the Pope. (laughs) And so how old were you when you went out there and you sang for the Pope? I was 14. What was that like? Were you afraid and nervous at all? I was given like about five minutes notice before I sang. It was unplanned, so I didn't really have a lot of time to think about what will happen if I mess up. Like, really what was going through my head was just taking the mic, singing into the mic, and doing it well, and not worrying about who was out there and stuff like that. I didn't really have a lot of time. Are you glad? Oh, In hindsight? Yeah, it's such a blessing. And so fast forward, um, you're a junior in high school now. Yes, I am a junior in high school. It's really fun. People know that you sing, but you play squash? Just started playing squash this year. I needed a second sports credit at school, so. So you kind of took that on? Yeah, yeah, I took that on. And so how long have you been singing? My parents put me in my church's children's choir at three and a half. Did So they kind of knew you could sing at that time? Well, I think they just realized I had like a proclivity for music and mm-hmm. like I just gravitated towards it. So they were just like trying to get me in anything musically they uh, they possibly could. And then it just kind of went from there? Yeah, yeah. And is there a day or a time and how old were you at that time when you realized, you know what? Like, first of all, I like doing this. And second of all, I'm actually pretty good. Hmm. I think probably when I was around... 12 and a half or 13 when uh because i've i've been in the boy choir keystone state boy choir for nine years now so mm-hmm. that's more than half my life and most of the time i was a soprano too but then there was like this moment where i was like oh i can sing pretty high and then like all of a sudden i was like uh singing solos all the time with the choir and i think that was around 12 and a half 13 and that's when it like really changed where i really got serious about music and so when you say serious about music, what does that look like for you? Well, I wasn't overboard. I used to, I played the violin, I played piano, I play guitar and a tad bit of organ. So I can read music well and all that stuff, but BP before the Pope. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Singing was uh, mostly recreational for me. Now you really take your singing seriously. I have uh, a voice teacher who helped me through my voice change because I'm a tenor now. It only took about two weeks, and then I was singing in full tenor. And, like, it was a really short voice change, and I think that was because of my voice teacher, uh, Larry Honig, who really helped me and, like, coached me through my voice change. Because that's what I was going to ask you, because your voice is, is, I can hear it deepening, you know. And I know that um, a lot of young singers, male singers, do do struggle with that. And they kind of like one sound, and then when they go to the next sound... They they kind of like struggle or fall off, but I don't see that happening with you. Yeah, it was definitely like a, I wouldn't say challenge, but it was definitely new when I first started singing tenor. But I think it hits more people harder. Yeah. And so now you're um, you're kind of like you see yourself as a singer now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a musician. Yep. All around. Like I'm trying to play sports more. The first quarter I got all A's. I'm just trying to build myself like physically and mentally all trying to be a well-rounded person you also couldn't play hockey oh yeah i couldn't play hockey this year because uh i've had two concussions but my last concussion was really bad because i fell down a flight of stairs 
at school, like cement stairs. And I was uh, out of school for about a year, and I came back for the last month of school freshman year. What did it feel like, and did you know that there was an issue? Well, my first concussion was from ice hockey. I got it on the ice. My second concussion, when I fell down the stairs, I didn't lose consciousness, but I was felt like kind of went into tunnel vision, a bright light. Like, it was like, and I would get headaches, like, right after. I had a bad headache. I was pretty nauseous, and, like, I would get headaches sometimes four times a week. I'd just have to lay down. It was really bad. But, I mean, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Yeah. You have such a positive attitude about this. Like, with all the stuff I've had to, like, go through, like, challenges, I realize not to get too stressed out about certain things because everything always works itself out. And there's not much I can do by just being weighed down by it. So I try to just look at everything with a positive attitude in the moment. And now, do you feel like you're walking a path of some sort? I guess we're getting deep, yeah. Yeah, we're going deep. We're going deep, (laughs) Bobby Hill. So do you feel like you're walking a path? Because in some ways, the opportunity that was placed at your feet was something unexpected, and you killed it. I, I stay true to myself in everything I do, and I think that's what I'm meant to do in life. And if that, like inspires anybody else to just do whatever they do and just go forward. I guess what I'm meant to do is just to show people to be authentic. And I feel like whenever I go somewhere, like I start a new school, I've started a new school four times, and I never feel really out of place because I always make friends really quickly, and I think that's because I just am who I am. I don't try to be anything. Yeah. that's. I mean, I think that's profound. And I think that that's a lesson that a lot of times you don't learn at your age Um, and that a lot of people have insecurities about things that they don't need to be insecure about. And it holds them back. So where do you see yourself going? What what is your vision for your life? Or have you developed? Have you thought that far ahead? I've definitely been thinking that far ahead, but I feel like I just want to let life take me on its journey. And so when now you guys are like you stepping your game up. (laughs) <laughs> you're hosting a, an, a concert. Yes, ma'am. Um, tell us about it. The choir that I'm in, Keystone State Boy Choir, we have an outreach program called Find Your Instrument, which goes into schools that don't have any music or any arts program, and we start a choir. And we take the kids who are really good at it and who love it and bring them into the Keystone State Boy Choir. There's a campaign to end artslessness in our city, and I think... The, the organization that I'm the spokesperson of, we're trying to get the community to think of the arts like regular things that people need every day in their life, like food, shelter. So, like, people are always talking about homelessness, which is a very serious issue, but also the creative poverty that goes in on, our, on in our schools and people who aren't privileged enough to go to schools that have arts. How has art uh, impacted your life? Uh, well, my life is completely different because of music and arts and I feel like I have very supportive parents who who tried their best to expose me to everything possible and that paid off in the end but there are kids out there who don't have parents or parents with the resources to expose them to things that they might love and if you never find your thing that you love you're just walking through life with no drive or passion, and that's that contributes to the school-to-prison pipeline thing. People who don't have their passion or somebody there, like, 
bringing them along, helping them to find what they need to do, keeping them on track. And that's the goal of our outreach program and the End Artsiness program. Is that part of why you're having this concert? Yes. Now, my concert on New Year's Eve from 4 to 6 p.m. is a benefit concert for this charity. Wow. Yes. And that's what I'm raising money for. So all proceeds from the concert are going to end artlessness. Give me all the details, Bobby, so people can buy these tickets and support end artlessness. So you can go to KimmelCenter.org to buy the tickets from my December 31st concert at the Kimmel Center from 4 to 6 p.m. And I encourage you to buy it as soon as possible because tickets are going fast. Thank you so much for being on Flashpoint. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Next up, he's a guy he wished he was as a kid. Whoever I was as a kid, I didn't notice that I didn't know these things. Three ways a North Philadelphia man is using his expertise in finance to empower urban youth. This is Flashpoint, and we at KYW are all about community. And this week, it's all about Thanksgiving, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering youth with financial literacy. I'm here with founder and executive director Chris Banks. Chris, welcome to the KYW studios. Thanks for having me, Cherry. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me about Thanksgiving and why you decided to start it. I think that Thanksgiving kind of was like a a snapshot of my life. People say, like, be the change that you want to see in the world, but also be the person that you needed growing up, right? So I I started it as a nonprofit organization just meant to give kids a lot of the financial knowledge that I feel like they need and a lot of the financial knowledge that I think definitely inner-city kids lack coming up, and that's basic understanding of business, how it works, prices, how to save money management and things of that sort. You're born and raised in Philadelphia, went to Northeast High, Temple University, yes. and now you work in finance. Who were you as a kid and what did you not know to make you say, you know what, now that I'm in finance, man, well, I let's wish be clear. I uh, I think that whoever I was as a kid, I didn't notice that I didn't know these things. Like this hit me at like maybe like mid-20s. I remember I was working. I thought that I had a pretty decent salary. I was like, you know what, I'm ready to buy a house. You know, so I went there and I kind of got the door shut in my face. You know, it was like, wait, you, you haven't been working on your credit score. All you have is student loans. Wait, you don't have twenty, thirty thousand in the bank. And maybe that's a large number because I, I was shooting for a pretty high house. But nevertheless, it was like, oh, so now I got to rewind and start to work on a lot of things that had I have been working on in my early 20s, late teens or, or so. I probably would have been better off. And I think that my whole premise behind this thing is that if you could catch kids earlier, It'll be much better for them to understand what they're looking forward to in the future. So what are some of the big lessons that you learn that you teach these young people? It's very imperative to start with budgeting and money management. You can make $8 an hour. You can make $80 per hour. But it could all look the same way if you don't have your spending habits in check. My spending habits, I would say, that, that, I, that I've messed up on younger was that I looked at the wrong things as necessities. And I think that most kids don't. They just say, I want. And so that's when you see kids, even if they are technically living in poverty, you're like, well, how does he get those sneaks? Or how does he get those? Because I think that as a society, we'll do whatever it takes to get the things that we want. So let's talk about the programming. Sure. Um, you, you're a fairly young nonprofit, mm-hmm. but obviously working to make a significant impact. Give me some of the uh, rundown of some of the types of programs that you have. We, we started with money management and budgeting. 
We then went into real estate, buy houses, flip it, and things of that sort. But we broke that down to kids like, you know, just owning a home isn't going to create wealth. But if you own a home and you're able to leverage that through, let's say, a tenant on another floor or something, then this is probably what you want to do. Or, and just trying to make that realistic for them. We, we then talked about taxes. So whether that's income tax, whether that's the tax on your check, we had a uh, we started with a live paycheck showing them, listen, OK, here is here is a salary, ten dollars an hour. But what does this look like after putting $10 in a week when you take out, you know, the FICA, when you take out Social Security, when you do insurance benefits or whatever? We broke that down. Our second one, last time we talked about stocks. I think the stocks were important because that's something that I think it looks a little scarier than than what it really is. Somewhere out there, uh, somebody's telling us that you need a lot of money to invest in stocks. Maybe even the kids think you need a lot of education. But that's one of a positive avenue that you can educate yourself and be able to invest a little bit and be able to see where that goes each time these kids are going to be able to see something else that they can see oh i could do that or why don't i look at it this way i never thought about that also we're inviting speakers and subject matter experts who are top of their game with those type of things and how old are the kids that typically come so right now we're doing middle to high school kids so i guess that's about 12 to 7 to 17 years old the average kid is probably about 15 16 10th grade and I think that that works perfectly because hopefully they'll have a good year and a half, two years into the program. They'll be able to start saving money on their own. We're also opening up bank accounts for kids as well. And so if, the, if you had had Thanksgiving when yeah. you were a kid, right. what do you think you'd be now? I, I don't know. It's, it's no telling. But I will say that I would have spent less time trying to get bigger, stronger and faster for football, you know, or or for whatever sport I was into at that time. And I would have spent more time trying to see the long term of understanding my finances or making investments. Because like I said, when I graduated high school, I didn't have anything in my savings account. I believe that the first time that I actually got my checking account was just because it was an easier way for mom to give me money. You know, I remember trying to make it to those check cashing places by five o'clock so that they could take, I don't know if it was a $10 or $5 fee out of my check or, or, or things of like that. But that's something that people don't think about. And those little fees add they up. They do. They add up. They add up. And people sure. who are about their dollars know that every dollar matters. Every dollar matters. Every penny matters. That's why, you know, I have a, I have a five-year-old daughter. Every, every piece of change I get is going in the hub bank account. From January to July, she raised $163. She's going to be a little better than me. Saturday at Temple University, 13th in Montgomery, Howard Geddes Student Center. You can sign up so on the website, banksgiving.org. We're also, if anyone had any questions, sponsorships, if you wanted to work with us, then please, please, please email info at banksgiving.org. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris Banks, for being here in the KYW studios. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the show by using the radio.com app, iTunes, or whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As novelist Edna Ferber once said, Christmas isn't a season, it's a feeling. It's my wish that you feel warmth, love, and acceptance this holiday. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, happy holidays and thanks for listening.